Hey, Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. For corporate social impact work to be truly sustainable and stay on the test of time, aligning a business's cause efforts with its corporate strategy and goals is crucial. Citizen Verizon is an excellent example of integrating CSR throughout a corporation. It's a forward-thinking, responsible business plan that focuses on innovation and societal impact. Leveraging technology, Citizen Verizon propels digital inclusion, enhances human prosperity, and champions climate protection. Over the past five years, Verizon has invested $3 billion in this initiative. In today's episode, I chat with Verizon Senior Vice President and Chief Corporate Social Responsibility Officer, Rose Stecky-Kirk. Rose's role involves steering Verizon's corporate social impact commitments and seamlessly integrating its strategy across all facets of the company. Her extensive experience as a seasoned leader in diverse P&L and marketing functions equips her well to drive Verizon's social innovation work. We highlight the legacy ed tech program she developed, Verizon Innovative Learning, which fosters digital equity and has impacted more than 3.5 million students nationwide. The initiative provides tech tools, training, connectivity, and curricula to Title I schools to prepare often overlooked low-income students for the digital workforce. These students are our future tech workforce leaders, innovators, and entrepreneurs. In this episode, we'll explore how Rose's PL background helps her take a data-driven approach to CSR. Verizon's principle of build with, not for, when it comes to program development how to walk the halls and get buy-in for your initiatives. The importance of learning where a corporation, quote, has a right to play in the social impact world. And Rose's thoughts on the challenges and opportunities that lay in ESG. And with that, let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Allie. Thank you. So glad to be here. We are all more than what we do for work, which listeners have probably heard me say about a million times at this point. But tell us a little bit about the personal and professional journey that led you to Verizon. Yeah, it's a great question because I think about how I ended up in this space. And I'm honestly not surprised. I've always been that person who cared greatly about helping someone out, helping people solve problems and helping people be greater than they think they could be. And that's really the function of, you know, ESG, CSR in our society. So, you know, I've had a great professional career that included profit and loss activity, marketing, you know, sales. But I've also been able to actually do this work for the past 10 years. And it's some of the most fulfilling work because it really speaks to my core of empathy for others and helping move people forward. And if you had to share a fun fact or a random fact about yourself, what would that be? I actually like to listen to ghost pod- podcasts, which nobody would believe, but I like a little spook in my life. I like it. And it's a pretty good time of year for that right now. Too. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Ghost podcasts aside, let's start with an overview of Verizon CSR work. Would you give us a quick tour of Citizen Verizon and your pillars of digital inclusion, human prosperity, and climate protection? Yeah, at the highest level, Citizen Verizon is all about how do we create economic advancement and social advancement 
as well as climate protection for individuals, right? So it's our plan for, for advancing the world in that regard. And when we created this plan about 10 years ago, we actually asked ourselves, where does Verizon have a right to play? I think very often folks, you know, create these kinds of programs because they do what someone else is doing. They want to sort of jump on that bandwagon. But we said, where do we have a a right to play? Where are we going to have extreme credibility? And certainly in the digital inclusion space, that's what we do as a company is create networks. We knew we had to play there. Climate protection, we recognize what our networks do from an environmental perspective, and that we need to be very thoughtful about our own footprint, but that we also have the right to play in the role that our technology could play in offsetting some of the climate um, conditions on vulnerable populations. You know, Ali, you know this data about the fact that, you know, people of color, low-income people are in the areas most impacted by climate and don't have the ability to actually recover. So we wanted our technology to have a role there. And then human prosperity is a little bit of a catch-all for us as we focused on how do we reskill and upskill people for this new digital economy? How do we engage our employees from a volunteerism perspective? How do we think about our own selves as a company that actually is caring about pay equity and those issues? So we looked at it and created uh, Citizen Verizon with very specific goals across those three pillars. And then, you know, our investment has been more than $3 billion in the past five years alone. So not only doing great work, creating great programs, but we're making the financial investment that's necessary to see scalable and sustainable impacts in society. One of the things that you said, I want to call out again, because you said, where does Verizon have a right to play? Mm-hmm. And where do you have extreme credibility? And we talk a lot about how there should be an authentic alignment with a cause or with a nonprofit partner if a corporation is going that route. But taking a step back even before that and saying, where do we have the right to play? What fits with our business model? What are our resources and assets? And where does it really make sense is a very good first step to take. 100%. You know, when we were thinking about this work and, of course, looking at the global landscape of what others were doing. You know, back in 2019, when we were setting the strategy up, we saw a lot of folks creating these moonshot goals. I'm going to impact 5 billion people around the world. And we kept asking ourselves, how is any company really going to do that? <laughs> you know, you yeah. can round, yeah, you can round up a bunch of numbers and suggest that you've had that type of impact because maybe you gave funding. But if you really want to look someone in the eye and someone being the people and the communities that we are serving and say, we did this on your behalf, I think you have to not have these moonshot goals, but be very intentional. And the only way you're going to do that is think about the assets that you have as a company and how can you bring those to bear. And that forces you, you know, Allie, to focus on where does Verizon have a right to play? How much of our assets can we give into this work? And then what is the outcome on individuals, communities, small businesses that we can authentically say we did that? Uh, and I think that's a strong discipline that I would like to see more companies actually begin to uh, adapt uh, in this work or adopt rather in this work. Absolutely. Okay. So talked about a couple different pieces and I want to segue a little bit. One of the initiatives you developed is Verizon's legacy ed tech program, mm-hmm. Verizon Innovative Learning. 
Tell us a little bit about building this program and then what phase is it in now? You know, the program is 10 years old and we've impacted well over a million youth uh, with this body of work. And, and And it's so interesting because when we built this program almost 10, 11 years ago, we sort of looked around and recognized that there were a couple of things happening. Number one, our business cared a lot about education and was certainly had an education practice with people who were dedicated to doing right. nothing but selling into education. So we knew that Verizon had a right to play. But we also knew, believe it or not, 10 years ago, that people were still trying to figure out what is the role of technology in a school. People were not using it. They didn't know what to do. They didn't understand what it could mean to actually change the way that teachers were teaching and students were learning by using technology, including network connectivity. And so we started this program, you know, with different models. Bring your own device. We will provide the device, a hybrid type of model. Working with um, underserved middle schools, we were very intentional in that time period because that's where you know, children are more independent in their working uh, schoolwork and teachers have a very different way of teaching. And it was also critical uh, in terms of your success in middle school actually sets you up for future success in life. Right. So with all those things understood, Allie, we, we began to think about what can we learn, test and learn first, one of our big models, test, learn, and then how can we take that learning and move it to scale? So you know, your question around what were we thinking we were building it 10 years ago, it was really those issues. Technology has a role in education. Folks haven't figured it out. Underserved middle schools have a greater opportunity because they don't have access to these devices and to network connectivity. And these students, our research showed, were changing their dreams and visions of themselves because they didn't have access to technology. We knew that we had an opportunity and we had to figure out the right model so we could create something that could scale. Okay, so you said test and learn first. And then how can we take that learning to scale? What is one of the early things that you learned that you then implemented? We learned that a bring your own model wasn't going to work, right? That okay. everyone didn't have a device to bring. And they were all different devices. And so you couldn't get a teacher to a consistent way of teaching if the students were dealing with different types of technology. So we needed to rethink and come into that environment with the actual technology in hand. And that's when we work with our business to be able to put tablets, you know, in the hands of these students, working with the schools to decide, do you want a Chromebook? Do you want an iPad? We worked through that. We also knew that we had to gift network connectivity and we had to do that literally um, 24-7 availability. We also Mm -hmm. learned that the voice of the teachers and the parents and the students was critical, and we needed to work with them to help shape exactly what had to be so in that classroom. And then we needed the right partner who had ed tech proficiency to run alongside of us to develop the work, which is what Digital Promise does. So I would say those were the four sort of big ahas that came out of our, you know, year and a half of testing and learning. And one of the things that we talk about a lot of this on the podcast, but one that I also want to call out is that the voice of teachers, parents and students is really important when Mm -hmm. you're building these programs and you're building initiatives. If you don't center your end user in that work, you can build something that you think is great. That's not actually helpful. 
Yeah, we have a principle in, in the work that my team does. We, we operate against a set of principles. And no matter what you're working on, whether it's the Verizon Innovative Learning Program or the Skill Forward Program or the you know, small business program, one of our principles is we build with and not for. I don't I ever that. want Verizon to be some big corporate savior that is going into a community and telling people what's best for them. So we really do rely on the voice of the customer. And that's how we get to the point that we can measure our impact. That's how we know if we're actually delivering what we said, because we are working against a set of metrics that everyone has aligned on up and down the value chain. Okay, I want to come back to metrics and measurements and how do you measure success. But before we get there, you tie your work very closely to Verizon's business and really know how the brand makes money. Mm -hmm. Walk us through how you approach this intersection of CSR on one side and business alignment or profit alignment on the other. How do you fuse those two together? Yeah, well, first of all, I would tell you, I don't think they're on two different sides. I actually Mm -hmm. think it's it's just a continuum. And anyone who's doing this work needs to understand their business and what their business strategy is, how the business is trying to make money, and what is the role that they have in furthering society in that regard. So that's the first sort of mindset. Uh, You know, I come out of profit and loss. I sit on an independent corporate board of directors. I spend a lot of my time looking at a company's overall performance. And so bringing that thinking into our work is just one of our principles, is we understand Verizon. Now, having said that, Allie, it's not because we're trying to understand it so that everything that we does accrues revenue for the brand. We have a set of initiatives called social impact innovation that have that at the heart of it. But we have a lot of initiatives that really have a foundation that says, if we don't have an educated workforce, we are not going to be able to have employees that can work successfully at Verizon. We are not going to be able, yeah, a pipeline, and we won't be able to be productive inside of our communities if we're not all lifting and caring for the needs of the community. We can't turn a blind eye to that. And so when we think about how core mission of digital connectivity, think about what it's for. You know, you use digital connectivity to educate yourself on a range of things. You use it for your health care. You use it for entrepreneurship. You use it to connect with people. I mean, we are very fortunate in that we are at the center of every single decision you probably make in your life. So with that in mind, we have to understand where these, where the business's priorities are so that we use these resources very effectively in the marketplace uh, with the work that we do. Fr- frankly, it gives you credibility inside of Verizon and it gives you the ability to scale and to be sustainable in the work. I don't have new things that I pop into every year. My team isn't dropping programs and running to the next one every year because we have a sustained strategy aligned with where Verizon is headed as a company. So you walk the halls of Verizon's building, literally walk the halls to get buy-in for your impact. I do, I do. Why do you take this approach and how does your approach differ from others who walk the halls? You know, what I learned early on was that the best thing a leader can do is to recognize the barriers for their team and remove them for the team. And the only way that you're going to recognize the barriers is to get in front of them. 
So when you sit one-on-one with the CFO, he or she is going to tell you what their priorities are. And they're going to tell you if they're willing to give you hundreds of millions of dollars of funding to do your work vis-a-vis those priorities. And I don't want to learn that, you know, Allie, at the end of the year meeting. I don't want to learn that at the table. I want to learn that one-on-one so that I can, A, either convince them why they need to, or B, I can work with my team to modify our strategic and executional approach so that we do get the funding. And not just one time, but ongoing. We set 10-year targets. I did a bottom-up view of what we have to achieve year over year, month over month, for 10 years in order to meet the targets that we set and presented that not only to the CFO, to the CEO's direct report, but also to Verizon's board of directors so that Mm -hmm. everybody understood if we're going to say yes to these targets, we're saying yes to this level of commitment and we're saying yes to this outcome. That's how I walk the halls, not for the moment, but long-term. I don't know if others do it that way. So if I were a fly on the wall and I got to experience you walking the halls, how do you approach this? Is there a a framework or a process that you follow? Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I could say it's this magic formula, right? But it really is different. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Everyone would be doing I should write a book. It's really different depending upon who I'm speaking with. So the CEO, it's one conversation because, you know, he's asking me questions like, why do you make it so difficult? Why do you actually build programs? Why can't we just give away, you know, do funding? And I've said to him, we can, but that's a different model. So let's start with, do you believe in the model? And so I think not being afraid of the question, but embracing it and getting underneath kind of strategically what we're doing. So that's one way of walking the halls with him. You know, with my CFO, it's a very fact-based, financially driven type of conversation with outcomes. You know, with my business unit heads, it's a conversation about what my work does for them. So when I'm talking to the head of Verizon Business Group, I am talking about small business digital ready and why that's important for him, given how much revenue he accrues from small business digital ready. If I am speaking to the head of our consumer group, I am talking about the work that we do and the local and geographic communities that we are in that impacts where his retail stores are. And so it goes back to your earlier question, being a student of the business, understanding what each leader is solving for and starting a conversation that's relevant to what they are trying to achieve. And if you weren't walking the halls and you worked remotely instead, what advice would you have for listeners on the same topic? I'm guessing that it's going to be a similar approach. It's just with a screen instead of a hallway. Is there anything you would add? Yeah, I think you first of all need to build relationships with those individuals outside of your, your hall walk. You know, I'm very fortunate in that I can call any of those direct reports of the CEO of the CEO. CEO himself at any given time. They've come to my all hands meetings to, you know, to talk about their strategies. And I know that their time is valuable. It's limited. So the fact that they will say yes, when I ask, I think speaks to the relationship that I've built with them and the credibility that we have with each other. So I think you need to build some credibility. 
And you need to do that outside of just that moment that you're trying to walk the halls. But I also think you need to build credibility with the team underneath them um, so that yeah. they're hearing about all the great things that you are doing that aligns, you know, with their strategies overall. And, you know, Allie, it's interesting. We just finished an operations review today. In fact, we had two. And I invited into the operations review the HR business partner who supports one of the business units. I invited in one of the technical staff. I had, um, you know, somebody else who's sort of in the ESG value chain. So I use meetings very purposefully to expose so many people to our work so that when I'm not in the room, there are champions in the room for what we do. That gives you walk the hall credibility. So don't manage from behind your computer. Uh, you've got to build those relationships and have those one-on-one conversations so that you can be effective when the big ask um, happens. And by the way, we've always gotten incredible budgets year over year. Um, and we delivered great outcomes because we show the financial um, and metric-driven outcomes that we're delivering. So let's dive into the financial and the metric piece. How do you measure the success of your initiative? Mm -hmm. Every single program has a set of targets that are specific to that program. And so think about the fact that for Verizon Innovative Learning, you know, our big target is to provide 10 million youth with digital skills training by 2030. Now, a lot of companies would say that's my target and you know, I've already reached a million students, so check, it's successful. That's not the way we do it. We have okay. a deep assessment of how are teachers using it? Are teachers doing individualized instruction as a result? What are we seeing with students' behavior and performance? What is happening with the IT staff? Are they becoming more technologically savvy so that it can be more effective in the classroom? What is happening with our Verizon Innovative Learning Portal that we built to give K through 12 uh, educators as well as parents across the nation access to this tools? What is usage? Where is drop off on the portal? So we have such detailed insights, and then we manage all the costs. We know exactly how much it costs us to deliver the programs and what the return on investment is and what the CPT is. So when we do readouts. They are like financial operations reviews within the firm. You know, I tell my team, this is not the time for ducks and bunnies. The smiling kids (laughs) are great, but that's not what we're going to be reading out on. So they're very metric centric and very rich with insight and data and targets and outcomes. So that's the way that we think about the readouts at the highest level of the company. Very different from if we're standing up in front of you know, another group and just telling them about our great work, that's when we do ducks and bunnies. That's when you got more of a story approach, perhaps with some data as well, but to paint more of a picture than the line items. That's right. So that people can feel good, right, about being a part of Verizon, et cetera. And we do that for, you know, small businesses where we're trying to get a million small businesses with resources to help them thrive in the digital economy. We're doing that when we think about, are we carbon neutral? We do that with you know, reskilling half a million individuals for the jobs of the future. So every one of our targets has a rich level of insights underneath it that we read out on. And by the way, Allie, then you have to train your team to actually be really good with data. Yeah, because otherwise you've got the numbers, but what do you do with them? 
What do you do with them? What do they tell you? What are the insights? Uh, and we do our own little operations reviews and go to market sessions. I do that with my team. Probably drives them crazy, by the way. Um, but I do it <laughs> so, that, so that I can really get them focused on understanding their data and their metrics, their what, their why, and their how. Okay, so if you're talking about operation reviews and go-to-market sessions, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, that these are specifically for your CSR-related programs and initiatives. Correct. It's for anything that I oversee. So I have a portfolio of work that includes more than just that. But yes, it's everything that I oversee. Okay. And if we're going to take a pivot into something else that has been very much on the horizon lately, ESG Mm -hmm. has been... Big news. In some cases, it has been talked about as something that's highly politicized. Mm. At first, brands and corporations were maybe terrified of it, but okay, this is the direction we're headed. Some are coming away from that term. There's a whole bunch more we could dive into, but what challenges and opportunities do you see around the ESG space, whether that's in programmatic response or in nomenclature? So let's start with the challenges. Look, I think... No one anticipated this world where this ability to not destroy the planet, uh, think about greenhouse gas emissions, this ability to put a name on the changing weather conditions and everything else around that that's happening, um, to be able to understand our responsibility um, to our environment, we never thought that that would be politicized. We never thought that this belief that we as a nation should care about our citizens holistically and make sure that we are doing programs to lift society. We never thought that would be under attack. I mean, I I say to people all the time, what politician ran on a platform that says, (laughs) I will never do good for the citizens of my district? I don't know anyone who ran on that. You would know, but right? somehow we got here. But somehow we got here, and somehow we decided that corporations need to be treated um, very differently for actually caring. And so that's concerning. And I think corporations sometimes who are worried about that 50%, let's just use that in a generic sense, of the population that is really not happy with it or corporations who believe that there's going to be harsh regulations, the Supreme Court is going to take up even more cases in June. You know, all of that is making people a little gun-shy. Some companies gun-shy. Some companies rethink what they're doing. That's a real issue. But I believe this. I believe that companies who are willing to publicly say, we understand who we serve, we understand the communities in which we live, And we understand what our assets need to do to drive difference and equality are companies that are going to continue to be rewarded, both in the long term and the short term. And I'm not naive to the fact that it's a very complicated landscape right now that has, you know, community issues, political issues, regulatory issues, all types of darts being thrown. But I do think that there are companies who are willing to stand firm and to be able to understand that it's about trust and credibility among customers and consumers. And those who are going to win when it comes to that trust barometer are those who are willing to stay the course. Because, Ali, at any given day, you got customers and society mad at you about something. 
Um, that's just you're never what going to please everybody. You're never going to please everyone. That's just what happens when you are a large company. Um, that always happens. So it, it's uh, unfortunate that we are here, but I think opportunity is to prove great outcomes and great results by staying committed and showing what you're doing. Because I don't want to live in a world where, you know, the neighbors down the street kids are uneducated, don't have access to technology, because that exists in every school district in America, no matter how income they are, how high income your area may be. I want to live in a place where we are trying to lift everyone into a level of equality. I think that's good for us. And I think ESG needs to stay the course with the right governance models around how to do that and how to you know, deal with the SEC regulations, regulations coming out of Europe, issues that we are all grappling with. We just have to wrestle them to the ground like we do any other business issue. So what lessons have you learned along the way in the last, we'll call it 10 years, when it comes to developing programs that really deliver impact? I've learned that you've got to really pay attention to the details. The moment, well, you've got to be on the ground and visit your work. You have to see it in action. You have to talk to the recipient. You have to be willing to hear what doesn't work and then be committed to improving it and being okay that everything isn't going to work. You have to listen to your partners and create a trust with those partners because at the end of the day, your partners recognize that you carry the weight, right? You're the big funder. You're the big strategist. But you've got to create a relationship with your partners that they're going to tell you your truth and tell you what is and isn't going well. You've got to bring all of you know, your company's resources both the human and the financial and the in-kind to bear. And then you've got to have relationships at the highest levels on the ground. That's why I've spent time talking to the mayors of a lot of communities to understand what their needs are. I spend time talking you know, with my peer to regulators about some of the issues that, that we are facing. I read an inordinate amount of material to really understand the landscape that we are dealing with. And I share that with my team so they can glean insights and think more about their work as well. So that's what I've learned. I love it. Okay, we have three closing questions to get through. And I want to start with one about leadership. So what are one or two behaviors or strategies that help you excel as a leader? Go deep into the work of your team, but be able to set strategic direction with expectations on tactical execution. you give an example? Yeah, a lot of leaders can be very tactical. They can give you like 10 things to do that aren't aligned to a strategy. You have to be mm-hmm. able to set an overarching strategy and then work with your team so that they have the skills to operationalize the tactics. And then you need to be able to go deep in those tactics as well to help raise them back up to give them some strategic leadership. So it's sort of like this, uh, think about a roller coaster, right? You're going up, yep. you're going down, you're going up, you're going down. You have to do both. I, I'm not a hands-off leader. I don't believe in that. Well, I'm directing the vision of the team. It's like, no, you got to get in there and you got to <laughs> know exactly what's going on. That's the only way that you're going to add value to the process. Okay, so our field can be a really busy one that's solving some pretty monumental challenges. How do you carve out time and space to protect your well-being without compromising the important work that you're doing? 
So I have a great family. So I, I really value the time that I spend with my husband and with my sons. Uh, we actually laugh a lot and do some wonderful things together. I have some of the best, most loyal friends around. And when I say loyal friends, these are people that always have my back, even when I probably don't, shouldn't have someone having my back. They do. Those and, are powerful. Yeah. Powerful and, friends. Yeah. And they're not transactional. It's not about what I can do for them. They don't care about my title, my act, my anything. They just care about me as a person. And so I do dip into that well a lot just to sustain myself. And I hang out with them quite a bit and we have a great time together. And then I just recognize that I'm doing powerful work, but I do have to have a beginning and an end just so that long term I can take care of myself. So I'm really good at putting in the hours, but when I stop, I stop. That's such a powerful piece, too, because so much of this is really important work and it can feel like I just have to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. But the more that we take a step back and do the important work, but also unplug, the more sustainable we will be and our programs will be over time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And then you just need some time to, you know, think good thoughts without having to be in the middle of doing Uh, good thinking and good Mm -hmm. thoughts is also helpful. Um, for you to be able to find space for that. I like it. Well, Rose, thank you so much for sharing your insights and a a look inside Verizon's programs. Where can people learn more about you and Verizon if they'd like to do that? Just Google Citizen Verizon and everything you need to know is going to come up. It's, It's very simple. And Allie, this is so great. I love talking about the tremendous work that we're doing at Verizon. Thank you for your interest and thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Well, we will include a link to Citizen Verizon in the show notes as well at engageforgood.com. And Rose, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Allie. Take care. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by C.K. Martin and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.